HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Welcome to the Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is Pepe Raventos. We'll talk to Pepe about Panedes, sparkling wine, Raventos y Blanc, and more. We'll taste a couple of Pepe's wines during the podcast for our weekly wine sip. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for the Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. Pepe Raventos' family has been around for a long time, like since the 1400s. Pepe is a 21st generation winemaker at Raventos y Blanc in Spain. His family led the development of Pinedes into one of the world's leading sparkling wine regions in Conca del Rio Anoya. Pepe traveled to Burgundy, the Loire, Germany, and the U.S. to hone his craft before settling into the family winery. Pepe Raventos creates pure wines that speak from their origin, making wines with minimal intervention and a focus on minerality. Welcome to the Grape Nation, Pepe. Thank you very much, Sam. This is the most generous introduction I ever heard. There you go. So we're off to a good start. All right, so we're talking to Pepe remotely today uh, via our uh, remote app, Zencaster. Pepe, where are you right now? I am sitting uh, in our winery in uh, San Sadurní de Noya, our hometown village located about 40 miles west of Barcelona. Okay, so for people to visualize where you're sitting, just, you know, people see a map of Spain, just to set it up 
with even more detail, you know, exactly where the winery, you know, the Catalonian region, you know, where you are. Go, go into just a teeny bit more detail. See, so this, uh, first of all, so this is Penedes Valley. Penedes is a, a valley um, that uh, is very historical in, in winemaking. Um, first winemaking history comes about 4,000 years ago here in the valley. And as you know, the wine was created, uh, or it's, it's meant to be created in, in, in Georgia and then traveled all around the Mediterranean shores. So um, this valley, Penedès, uh, close to the Mediterranean, like I said, 40 miles west of Barcelona, uh, um, is uh, between two mountain ranges, the mountain range of Garraf, that uh, isolates us for, from too high humidity, that would be uh, critical for our for the health of the crop, and then a second mountain range, which is the Prelitoral, very important for Catalonia because um, uh, especially the, this this uh, agriculture Catalonia protects us from the north winds. People may know the Montserrat mountain range in the middle of Catalonia that I can see across the window, um, which is an amazing, amazing mountain range, center of energy of Catalonia, protects us all here, the Catalans, um, incredible 2,000-year-old monastery, etc. Is that enough concrete? That is good. So now we know kind of what's going on in the region you are. And we're going to talk about that a lot more, too. Um, but another thing, and, you know, I don't do this with everyone, but I think it's, it's, you know, critical to who you guys are. Yours and your family's story is so long and rich. So, you know, during this podcast, I want to talk about the past, the present, you know, and the future of Revento C. Blanc. Um, can you start, you know, with a brief history of the winery? I want you to do three things and I'll, I'll, I'll lead you along the way. A brief history of the winery. Um, I want to talk a little about your personal journey, you know, where you kind of started and went and came back. Um, and then, um, you know, kind of the future. So if you can, you know, I know we date back to the 1400s. If you could take me from there to present. Absolutely. Uh, I don't know if it's very rich, but definitely extremely long. Uh, Happy, it's rich. Boring. <laughs> I hope I hope it's not boring. But yes, we have documents here of ancient Catalan, in ancient Catalan, about um, first inventories that were in that farm in uh, 1497, where they state already the animals we had in the farm, um, the olive trees and the olive oil we produced, the surface of vineyards and the wine we, we made and and, and such, no. And then, um, yeah. Lo long story short, uh, we 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 are of course a typical Catalan farming um, 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 organism, where animal, man, and and, and plant coexist and and, and and live live together in a very sustainable way. I must say, no. Pepe, before people were putting um, labels on it, you were doing it, right? Exactly. This is this is the idea, no? And it was a, the traditional way um, to live, if you want to say survive, depending on how hard the times were. Um, and then uh, what really uh, changed Spain was that because of the discovery of the Americas, we uh, sent a lot, a lot of wine to the new continent, and uh, Spain became the, the, the biggest uh, vineyard of the world. Still today, as you know, Spain is the biggest vineyard um, in absolute terms 
in, 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 in hectares planted or acres planted uh, of any country in the world. No? The other thing is uh, that uh, how, how our wines have been reputated, but we, because we haven't been able or we haven't been um, as knowledgeable as our neighbors, the French or the Italians, to do such great marketing. But the wine quality is, is amazing. And of course, the, the know-how and, and the actors are there. Anyhow, going back to Penedes, in, um, I think it's critical in the 1800s, um, we start to switch from fortify the wines which was a way to protect the wine for, for, from its travel overseas, um, uh, meaning add alcohol to the juice, um, so making kind of a, something that today maybe we would not call wine, but it was a, definitely a product that would come from the, from the vineyards, no? from the grapes. So we would switch from that to start to make um, um, serious whites and, and, and more important in 1872, Josep Raventos Facho, here in the farm where I am talking to you, um, made the first Spanish champagne. He was aware that um, there was a region north of France called La Champagne that became very successful with uh, that uh, second fermentation in the bottle method, traveled to, uh, to the region in several occasions, learned the method and brought it to the Catalan territory, to Spain. Um, and, and, and this was, this was um, uh, his, his vision was like really the, the, the keystone moment of what we, we share today. No? I didn't think- that, didn't, Pepe, didn't that take a lot of forward thinking and a lot of balls? Exactly. You know, that, I, I mean, that's like a big deal. That's a big deal. And, 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 and more important is because he didn't bring Chardonnay or Pinot Noir to the region. Right. He, he, he brought the, the, the know-how of the method. He got inspiration, but he didn't copy because he did the first Spanish champagne with a grape Charello, which is a grape I would like to share with you today that doesn't have the recognition yet, but I think it's in the top of the pyramids of the white grapes in the world. So, Pepe, so everyone knows, Charello is X-A-R-E-L-O, one L? Yeah, it's two L's um, with with a dot in the middle. It's uh, some Catalan, yeah, Catalan weird thing that complicates the equation. When we talk about Giarello, I just want, you know, my listeners to know, because if they go to Google it or whatever and they do a Z or whatever. All right. So continue. I'm sorry. No, no. Thank you. Absolutely. Giarello is critical. And, and let me tell why, in our opinion, it's the top of the white grapes pyramids. You have to take into account we are in the Mediterranean shores where winemaking started and viticulture started. And I'd like to remind that this is the natural climate for winemaking. If we look at a vine as a, as a plant, it naturally belongs to this, to this climate and this, 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 um, this type of soils and, 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 and the history backs this up. No? Meaning that the biggest challenge of a vintner is humidity. Humidity right. that pushes all the fungi, etc., and, and, and you run out of crop. So um, in all the world, even in organic, you are allowed to treat with copper and sulfur and sulfur the vineyards um, to protect from fungi. So here we are in the natural climate for for winemaking, right? Then then we have this grape called Charello, which is indigenous from here, and this is very important to understand this moment right now. It's that the grape ripens fully ripens at 12.5, 13 alcohol but with a pH of 3.0. You may say, oh, Sam, oh, baby, this is a little bit boring, but this is very important to understand because that this equilibrium in ripening in the field is a, an equilibrium that equivalates to Burgundy, which right. is 
700 kilometers north of us, or to Champagne, which is 1,000 kilometers north of us. But we are in the Mediterranean climate. So, and this is only Sharelo that does it. It's, right. it's, like, it's, like, it's like a miracle. Eh? It's like so, a miracle. so a couple things. In, you go back to 1872, you know, the foresight to, uh, you know, go to Champagne, come back and bring sparkling wine. But you really don't create, you know, an appellation or an awareness of all this till much later, correct? Exactly, exactly. It is until Josep Raventos Fajó, son Manuel Raventos Domenac, who develops the trilogy Charello Macabeu Parellada. And I think it's interesting for the listeners to understand that, probably you know already, but we, ha- we work with different grapes in any region of wine in the world to be protected from weather um, uh, uh, risks. Say, if you have a late frost in April, it may affect one of the grapes that, that but one of the varieties that, that did already the bad break, but not the other ones. If you have hail in, the, in late May or beginning of June, it may affect only one of the crop that is uh, in right. flowering, but you save the other ones. And the same in the harvest time. If you have to harvest all the surface in one week is very different than if you have three or four weeks to harvest all the surface. You can work much more precision and make much better wine. It's so this is why Charello Parallela Macabeu is created like uh, in, in Bordeaux, Cabernet, uh, Sauvignon and Merlot and such. Then the marketing um, complicated people have uh, and journalists have say, oh no, this is because adds more fruit and this one adds more acidity. That's good, but this is not the real uh, thing. The real right. thing is agriculture. Eh? Right. Then, uh, then so, sorry for that aspect, but then uh, and then this is how the champenoise method starts to be very strong here. And really the growth starts in the first half of the 20th century. Some. Why? Because every time there is world war, Champagne region is blocked by the Nazi invasion. And then when the Americans want to celebrate, they, they ask what we want, there is no champagne available. So there is the, the best alternative, or maybe the only alternative at that time, is what the Raventos family was making here in uh, in the Penedes. And this was the beginning of the of, of, of the growth. No? In the 1970, after the wars are finished and everything, no, the champagne people say, listen, because at that time, uh, Spanish champagne was called champagne in, in Catalan with an X, champagne, X-A-M-P-A-N-Y. Wow. And people from Champagne said, listen, if the sparkling wine comes not from the Champagne region, you cannot call it Champagne or any uh, similar name, which I think was a very important thing and well well done for Champagne. And this was what pushed my grandfather, Josep Maria Raventos Blanc, to create Cava Appellation and Cava Name. Ah, which, um, you know, that that progresses into another thing which we're going to talk about. I want to go backwards for a second because along with the family history, um, you know, your kind of travel journey line, because, um, you know, you you moved around a little until, you know, for a few decades now, you've planted yourself there. Um, tell me some of the things you did. You know, I mentioned in the intro you traveled. Um, you know, you hooked up with prominent winemakers from the Loire, Champagne, Burgundy, you know, tell me about the influences of these people and, you know, who they were. And also, weren't you in New York? I mean, just tell me a little about, you know, how your line kind of coincided with the uh, 
Reventosi Blanc wine. Let me let, let me try. So so basically, my yeah my, my background and passion is social work. I was work, working in social work, but at that time my father was not having a very good time, and and, uh-huh. and the winery was having a, a lot of troubles. We're talking about the beginning of the nineties. So um um well um, my uncle convinced my father say Pepe is uh, somebody that can really help you. So I joined my father and started to work in distribution to kind of like save the winery from from these difficult moments. And I fell in love with wine easily like most of us because it's one of the most beautiful um, uh, passions in the world. Eh? Something to share almost on a daily basis uh, with people you love and, and, and with connection to the nature. Anyhow, so I decided I wanted to study enology. I studied enology. And I also did the Master Sommelier here in Barcelona for two years, which I think was even more important than enology because it opened my view to the one world of wine. And because of that, I started to travel to our neighbor country, which I think still today is the leading uh, terroir-oriented uh, winemaking country in the world. So, um, yeah, I went to different regions, um, learned a lot uh, in Burgundy with the Lamy family, with Olivier uh, at Uber right. Lamy in Saint-Aubin, um, because I wasn't uh, known enough to be accepted in Merceau or Poligny Montrachet, right? Then I went to a Champagne and spent time with growers like uh, Sophie and Pierre at Domaine Larmandie Bernier, or with uh, Nicolas Chiquet and his brother at, uh, at uh, Gaston Chiquet. Um, and, uh, and, and well, Domain Paul Barras. I also became a good pal with uh, Anselm Selos, with whom we exchange wines every, every year, sure. even until today. No? Did also you mention Dagano? And then also I was about to mention that I was very fortunate to go to Domaine Didier Dageno in 2004, Harvest Internship. And, uh, and that was, I always mention, it was more, my most critical influence in all, those, in all those experiences and internships. I was uh, fortunate to um, live with Benjamin Dageno and uh, work uh, aside him under the instructions of the father. Um, to be honest with you, at that time, they were, they were fighting a lot. I still remember <laughs> uh, Benjamin, at the end of the day, so tired of the character of his father saying, I want to start by myself. And imagine three years later, uh, as you know, um, Didier passed away from this uh, uh, sad accident. Right. And then and Benjamin took over and he's doing an amazing job. No? But the concept of terroir, I would say, to be, to be true honest, is all around France where I got the influence. And uh, definitely with a concrete uh, aspect of Dagenau and Silex wine, that was the epiphany, if I may say. Right. So the influences, you took little things from each, you know, person and winery along the journey um, and made, I guess, some subtle and some major changes. Is that fair to say? Well, when I came back, I, I took over the technical responsibility and started a new path. A new path where really the protagonist of our sparkling wines would not be so much the method, which of course is important and you have to be very detailed in, in, in every aspect of it, but really bring the protagonism into, into the agricultural part. No? Understand, uh, understand our soils, understand our climate, understand the importance of working with indigenous grapes, and, 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 and this, no? So I think this was like really definitely the change that, that Raventos started in, from 2005 and on. So, you know, it's amazing how, you know, since I've been doing the show, the talk from wines and winemaking, 
you know, to the focus on farming, you know, has become, you know, really the the important part of what you do. I mean, it's evident to me that your vineyards and how you farm them, you know, along with the minerality of the wines is critical to your success, you know, so that's where you did make that shift to geology and terroir. You know, talk to me about, you know, you made a commitment to biodynamic farming. You know, you talked about why the region is perfect for making sparkling wine, the climate. You know, tell me a little about, you know, the biosphere you've created, the commitment to biodynamics. Yeah, absolutely. No, if, if, if we go back to farming, um, I think to fully understand the potential of quality of our sparkling wines, you really uh, have to understand Charello, as I said before, its aging capability. I forgot to say that this level of balance gives us an amazing aging capability because 3.0 3, uh, 3 pH is the, is the strength of the acids. It's, it's the, like the backbone of any wine. And also is a white grape that concentrates a lot of resveratrol. Resveratrol is the antioxidative of the grape. Right. So this is critical that Charello is the white grape that concentrates more resveratrol analyzed uh, uh, um, per unit uh, in, in, in the world. So this gives that grape an amazing capability of aging. But aging is method. So it's only one aspect. If we go to biodynamics, of course, um, I will share with you some that today, I think, like 20 years later, that biodynamics is a little overrated. I think um, I think it's an important ingredient, but I am a little tired of my wine is good because it's biodynamic. You know, for us, you see it, you see it more as a lifestyle than a definition, right? Exactly. We are the meter certified. We do all the preparations, etc. But for me, the keystone has been to come and live in the farm and really develop this lifestyle of working again in this piece of land, in this humble little part of the world with animals and plants in a sustainable and closed ecosystem. You know? This is the essence of, of biodynamics. This is the essence of biofarming, biofarming of ecology in a way. Yeah? And you know how I call it lately? I call it the recuperation of the farm organism because the only thing we're doing is to recuperate what our ancestors were doing in the 1800s, 1700s, 1600s and such before the era of confusion. I call the era of confusion. Right when we started to spray and fertilizers and productivity and greed and etc. And it's beautiful to find that really going back to basics, to really, I say, in wine, the future is the past. This is making sense for our grapes to taste better, to taste more pure, to taste more honest from the place. Our wines be more of interest of people in the world, have important people like you paying attention to a humble winery like us today. And I think this is very beautiful. So you, you talked about Jorello. Um, you talked about the climate, um, you talked about ageability, you know, Girello. a couple other things, <clears throat> the, the actual soil, I, I mean, it, the, the climate is perfect for that. Isn't the soil, you, you know, kind of perfect, you know, with the limestone and everything, um, for, I, I mean, doesn't that help you make these great wines? And one of the things you didn't mention um, and I need, you know, I, I'm asking you because I don't know, is you didn't mention acidity, which at the right levels is a great thing for these type of wines. Yeah, thank, thank you for thank you. So when I talk about pH, I, it's a way to talk about acidity. Eh? Basically, um, the pH measures the strength of the acidity. So it's even a, a more complete description. So the lower the pH, the higher the acidity. So when I say that Charello has balance of uh, Burgundy in the Mediterranean latitudes, 
This right. is what I really mean, uh, that it has an amazing acidity for being in a warm, dry place. But to be in a warm and dry place makes us able to make grape with minimal spraying. And this is the critical, the critical aspect of, of, of success in, in, in the farming in this area. And Talking about champagne, the champagne is the opposite, right? Champagne, well, some, champagne has much more rainfall, right. so the, the, the pressure more is another treatment. Although nowadays with a climate crisis and pressure, everything is changing so much that for what I read recently, champagne is having acidity issues and too much alcohol because the ah. sun is very strong up there. So, so it's really critical. While here we have these plants so adapted to, 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 to the sun and to the dry and to these poor soils that for now, knock on wood, we are resisting this climate, uh, uh, this climate uh, crisis. Um, um, so uh, two, two things. I want to... I want to taste and talk about um, one of the sparklers because we're talking about that. But before we get into that, I mean, I know you've endured some very dry and warm weather in the region. I'm wondering, because you brought up, you know, climate change. Is this a cyclical thing? Like, you know, it comes, it goes through the years, the decades, or are we inevitably you know, seeing this climate change and, you know, you have to understand and make the preparations for it. I am just a simple farmer and nobody to talk about with authority about what's happening. But from my humble point of view, it's a critical uh, climate uh, crisis we are living through. Um, we are melting. Um, <laughs> we are the melting ice in the world. Right. The temperature is rising and we are really in a very, very uh, complicated uh, but, situation. But you said you're a humble farmer. Day to day as a humble farmer, um, are the effects becoming um, unpredictable? Unpredictable more than anything. So unpredictable. Twenty twenty. Not only we had COVID, but we had historical rainfall right. that we haven't had like nineteen forties. The, the last five years have been crazy to say. Crazy. Unpredictability would be the word. That's that's fair. And you know, I would love to check back with you three five years from now to see you know, if things are starting to, you know, really happen on a regular basis. Pepe, in front of me, I have a bottle that you and the distributor kindly sent me, the Reventos y Blanc, Viticulteurs de 1497, from your region, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes, Conca del Rio Anoya. It is the, the specific bottling is the Tectores de Pedra, yeah. Blanc Oops. de Negres. Yes. Vigna Mace Alta. So tell me, you know, a little about this wine and then let's taste it together. What vintage are you tasting? I have 19. Okay, fantastic. Fantastic. So, yeah, texturas de pedra means stone stone texture in Catalan. Um, And Vigna Mace Alta is the highest vineyard. This is a vinification of Charello and Sumoy. Sumoy is a Ah. red, is the red indigenous uh, grape. That's why it's a Blanc de Negras in Catalan that stands for a Blanc de Noirs. Eh? Right. Uh, because the proportion of Sumoy is much more significant than Charello. But what I think we should... Wait, the, the, what, so what's the percentage? Uh, it really varies because it's a, it's a vineyard uh, selection and, and, you know, it's, it's not a recipe. But I would say... On the 19. 19 would say two-thirds of Sumoy, one-third of Charello. Okay. All right, Continue. I think this leads us to talk about pedra, stone, and, the, and answer your, your previous question, Sam, that I did not about the minerality. I think 
to fully understand the potential of the sparkling wines of our region, you really have to understand the minerality concept. Um, I say to the journalists, and some people laugh at me, if you like fruity, enjoy champagne. However, if you are into the mineral white wines, give a chance to the wines of Conca del Riwanoya. Because when I came back from Dagenau, I spent a few years working with the University of Barcelona of Geology to understand, to fully understand the landscape where we work. And to simplify, we learned that this is an ocean valley. So we are making wine in a territory that was covered by the Mediterranean Ocean for 3 million years, no. 20 million years ago. And when the ocean went back to the actual shore, all that life that was tropical years, high temperatures, shallow seas, etc., was fossilized, carbonatized in the, in the, in the soil. So the, the mother rock of our vineyards is a fossilized limestone. Is limestone plenty of shells and 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 and, and, and snails and and still you you find like actual um, uh, and diatomeas and uh, actual uh, nacre eighteen million years old, which is it's beautiful. And when you come, I'm, I'm happy to share with you. There are a few places here in the region in in one afloramento, uh, one like a surface afloramento of fossils here in, in the property. So I, I've seen I've seen pictures, you know, chunks of limestone good, good. with gobs it's, of fossils in them. It's important to share with our listeners that are interested in this idea to visit the website. We can, they, can, they can navigate on that. But it's really important to understand that the combination of that charello in that fossilized limestone enables us to make sparkling wines, of course, with aging capability, but more important, with an incredible mineral slash salinity profile. All right, so let's, let's taste and talk. So visually, I have the, uh, the wine in front of me. Um, you said it's a Negres, almost two-thirds this vintage of Sumal. The color is kind of a, you know, a light, light golden, light medium. You know, there's no um, really pink or red to it. Um, it's got beautiful, delicate bubbles. Um, do you agree with me on the color on this particular? Should be like, like light, light copper, if my, yes. my description makes sense. Yeah, subtle light copper. Um, and then typically the bubbles on Cava's would visually, would you say similar to champagne, less, more, bigger, smaller bubbles? Very. Okay, if I may, if I, if I may jump on that, I okay. would say that, that may be a method, silly question. The method is exactly the same. Right. Sadly, sadly, my region, the Penedes region, wanted to take a shortcut and go to volume. And Cava has become a cheap alternative to champagne. But from the quality standpoint, the method is exactly the same. And for that reason, for the reason that we took the, the shortcut, I, I was living in New York at that time, and you taught me in America, Pepe, don't hate the players, change the game. So that's right. what we did. We decided to declassify from Cava that was created by my grandfather. Eh? I sorry, I repeat myself, but it's like kind of like controversial. And the same family that created Cava decided to leave the appellation, the first in 2012, and work to create a new appellation. 
Of course, this is Spain and we're talking about government, so things go very slow. So 10 years later, we're still negotiating with the Generalitat, the Catalonia, Catalan government, etc. But I foresee that, I, and at least I will, I, I will keep fighting to create this appellation because it's an incredible opportunity to really um, and propose the world an alternative to champagne. Not better, not worse, just different. Okay. Um, I think you've succeeded in doing that. Um, in finishing up with the uh, Tectores de Pedra, um, tell me a couple things, if you can, from recollection, because I'm not sure if you have it in front of you. The Pedra, typically on the nose, um, are there characteristics that you could remember? Because I know on the palate, Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Texturas de Pedra would be our balance of this idea of minerality sensation that already you can perceive in the nose, like earth and, 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 and a certain, like, not fruity component, but that you already right. telling you that the dry and the saline, it, something is going to come that is not on the fruit. And then also because it's four years aging on the list, you can start to feel certain notes of autolysis when we find that certain um, smokiness, uh, um, dry, right. toasty uh, nuts, um, 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 a, little, a, a little bit of like very, very ripe fruit, um, uh, like, like a dry, dry, ripe fruit, uh, ripe fruit. Sorry that my yes. English is getting so rusty. I need to come back to New York, don't I? That's fine. Don't worry about it. Um, it's also very elegant. Um, you know, <laughs> all, those, all those things come through. Um, so this is a 2019, does that mean every year there's a vintage bottling? Yes. Yes. Every bottle that we make in Ramento Blanc, since we left the appellation and we committed to create this, this new appellation is vintage dated. We believe okay. that the protagonist is then the nature. I think the most important element when we talk about farming is understanding soils understanding soils from a geolog geological perspective to an edaphologic perspective. That's the first horizon, the clay, the hummus, the organic materia, the life that is in the, in the earth. That's the most important. And, but second is the climatology. So how are we not going to talk about weather and about what happened in, the, in, one, in one year? Uh, so that's why we commit to vintage date every single uh, of our bottles. So the 2019, is that what's on the market now or um, there are later vintages? How does that work as far as release? This is the current release of Texturas okay. de Pedra. Um, that is, uh, because it's a single vineyard, it's, a, it's, it's a highly allocated around the world. And uh, we're very happy to have uh, faithful customers that um, get one case or two cases and they like to keep it during the year. Yeah, it's, it really is, um, you know, wonderful, and it's a treat, treat to taste. Um, two things. We have to take a break in a few seconds, but before we go, I want to talk to you about Vine Age. I mean, you know, with all the vast, you know, hectares that you have, you know, what kind of Vine Age is running through, you know, all the properties? Like, is this particular tectories, are these older vines, or it's a mixture? To be honest with you, Texturas is, is, is a middle-aged, uh, we're talking about 35-year-old uh, okay. um, um, vines of Charelon Sumoy on the top vineyard. Um, this is a plantation that my father did. Um, the, the farm is not that big. Eh? We're talking about uh, 65 hectares planted. And, but this uh, is a living farm. So by this, I mean that we also have like um, parcels 
that we took the vines away and we have crops growing to, re to regenerate the soil fertility and also produce uh, food for the animals and also push for the biodiversity of the state, such as the olive groves that we have. But we have parcels that are we keep like uh, individual muscle selection replantation. So we keep the age to the limit, talking about 100-year-old vines in Clos del Serral Vineyard, our most emblematic north face slope, to uh, plantations that we uh, planted last winter. So they are only one year, one year old. Right. Um, Pepe, we have to take a quick break. We are talking to Pepe Raventos. Pepe is the proprietor of Raventos y Blanc. Um, when we come back... We're going to talk about a few more things, leaving the Appalachian, um, his new, not new, but newer project, Consumai. Um, and Pepe, I also want you towards the end of the show to talk about Futuro Vinador. Um, so you're listening to The Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese, the tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush green hills of Wisconsin bringing their cheesemaking traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheesemaking culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheesemaking craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. All right, we're back. We're back with my guest, Pepe Raventos. Uh, Pepe. Hello. Thank you again. It was a treat to taste the Tectores de Pedra. Uh, in a few minutes, we're going to talk and taste uh, the Consumoy. Um, I want to back up a little and spend a little more time on something that you brought up. Um, it's hard not to talk about Raventos y Blanc with you know what you brought up. And that was, and I don't think you mentioned the year, but you said, you know, almost 10 years ago, without discussing two, 2012, when you left the Cava Appalachian, you know, as you mentioned way earlier in the show, Spain is the largest, you know, region for vineyards. And, you know, by your region, a lot of that is sparkling wine, um, you know, and you were instrumental in creating the Appalachian Kava that you left, you know, which is kind of funny in a way. Um, so get into a little more detail, um, you know, why you just said, hey, you know what? Screw this. This isn't working for us. This isn't what we want to do. You know, we're out of here. And, and you know, explain more what Conca de, del Rio, you know. Yes, yes, yes. Conca del Rio, no, yeah. Sorry for the name, right? If it's not in front of me, I don't remember it. <laughs> it's the geographical name that, that stands for Valley of the River Anoya. Conca, valley in Catalan, on a rounded shape, on a shell shape. Rio for river and Anoya is the, is the, is the topographic name here of the region, Anoya. No? So, um, and the name that the river receives. And that, think, is, that is your appellation now. 
Exactly. So this right. is this this is this is the appellation that we decided to take in 2012, and that we're still on the working process to uh, um, um, to have the official uh, approbation of uh, the, the the Catalan government because the requisites are very strict, such as for example the kilo of grapes is uh, three times what is paid in the region. Um, uh, such as the vintage date, every bottle is is organic and biodynamic certified. Is even a, a longer aging on the list than champagne. No? But really, the, I think. What Wait, is- can I can I just ask you a question? You require and demand uh, more for the grapes. You said right three times. Yes. Does yeah, that yeah. does that pass along? Let's say to the workers. I mean, is that one of the reasons to be equitable? you know, to everyone that's involved in the process? Absolutely. I think I think through the years, you know, I moved from, of course, there is a legacy here in the family that gives us a lot of passion and, 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 and know-how and attention to, to detail and to make things well. No? But from this, we move to, to work well in all the details. But really, I think what is moving my work lately, and I think it's the, the true meaning of, like, pushing for a new appellation on the quality is we're talking about an ecological commitment, bio-commitment. We're talking about a social commitment and we're talking about a right. cultural commitment. No, right. and, and let me explain this. The bio-commitment is very simple. If we don't pay well the farmers that source grapes to the, to the, the sparkling producers in the area, because to understand Penedes, you have to understand that because of its historical uh, 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 poor region, there are still a lot of independent farmers that have amazing old vines of Charello or Sumoy that if you pay them two euros per kilo, they are the happiest people in the world. Why? Because this is a still a poor area with a limited prestige in the world and uh, in, 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 in Spain. So this is this is true viticulture. There is no real estate like in fancy wine areas of the world. So right. like the best hectare here is it costs fifty k. Eh? If you go to a fancy region, and I won't say the name, but it costs more than one million. So this is why I think it one thing is real estate and the other is true viticulture. So right. two euro a kilo, and this is the essence. Say to the people, say the disaster of Cava is that we pay fifty cents a kilo of grape. And this has destroyed the region from an ecological perspective, from a social perspective, and from a cultural perspective. Why? Because from a biological perspective, with 50 cents, we don't produce quality grapes, and we have to spray and do everything, because, because if not, uh, uh, and there is not a way to produce grape, eh? mechanize, etc., move away from hand harvest, etc., Social commitment. Well, if you don't if you don't pay well the grapes of the farmers, the families that in the in the area don't live well. That's the, 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 we can complicate the equation as much as you want, but this is the essence. The essence is and the cultural commitment is critical because if there is no quality grapes and quality agriculture, if the people in the farming don't um, get refurbished for their for their effort, people abandon, and and and, and the landscape is destroyed. And we see landscape. As culture is critical, in my opinion, in a wine region to to associate culture with landscape. I, I I agree with all of that. I love that, and I wish everyone thought of it that way and you know handled it that way. Um, when you left and started Conca del Rio Anoya, 
um, is anyone else there or is it just you? I, now, we'll talk for a second about Corponade and Classic Penedes, um, but is it just you that's in that? Um, yeah, uh, so it, it, we are in the, in the northern tip of the, of, of, of the uh, sparkling Penedes, to say it this way, which is the northern Penedes, and we are in the north, north oriental tip of this. No? Um, uh, so uh, that's why we, we choose for Concava del Rivanoia, Valley of the Rivanoia, and promote to uh, um, purchase the grapes, apart from what we farm in, in, our, in our historical farm, only from the area to um, propose to the people in the world distinctiveness, distinctiveness right. of the place. Did, but, did, did leaving the Cava yes. appellation... You know, there was some good to it, and then, you know, it just kind of gets out of hand, and it's not what you wanted. Did, did leaving affect how people perceived, like, you know, well, he's not in Kava, we won't buy it anymore? I mean, what, was that a, a problem or something you endured in your find? This is something that I owe to uh, the brave American mentality and my, my years uh, abroad okay. to give us a perspective, because it has been anything but positive. People respect, people support. Uh, of course, we lost a lot of uh, contracts in the Swedish monopoly or Canadian monopoly, uh, state, state controlled, uh, that if you were sparkling wine from Spain, not called Cava, they wouldn't buy you anymore. But that's a different circumstance. You know, that's more of a corporate or country or state run thing, right? Exactly, exactly. No, no. And we sold in, in the beginning. Some it was not everything. I mean, we, we lost sale, but but the support towards the vision, I think that was that was very important. And this was since day zero. And this is what gives us a lot of, of strength. I think I think for for my personal perspective, I don't make wine for my family and the team, which is important, of course, but it's for the territory. No? Right. And this is what, what what really moves me to to, to, to go wake up, go to work in, in, in the morning. So um, and where, where, <laughs> Pepe, is it fair to say because of that move, you were responsible for at least inspiring organizations like Corponat and Classic Penedes to come about? You know, people that kind of left Kava to look in their own way for what yeah. they think is a better it's way to do it? I think it's still early and only time will say, and I won't, I don't want to be like arrogant to say if I, we inspire or not. Uh, it's true that maybe you <laughs> inspired us and my colleague in France inspired to see another vision. And it's true that we were the first ones. In that was 2012, 2015, Classic Penedes is created with an idea to elevate the, um, the requisites for, for making sparkling wine in Catalonia. And I think they succeeded. And three years later in 2018, Corpinat is created and uh, with the idea to even elevate more the Classic Penedes standards and of course the and I think they also succeeded. We didn't accept any of the invitations because we think they are not uh, uh, solid enough. Uh, um, uh, classic ah. Penedes is, is like Cremant de Bourgogne, uh, which is great, but it's right. not enough to rival uh, our friends in Champagne. And Corpinat is also a great uh, initiative, but it's an association. It's So as I see, I see it, it's, a, it's still a marketing association. We really are inspired in the Burgundy model, in the Barolo model, where the protagonist is the territory, um, the people that farm the territory, um, its valleys, its villages, and its right. vineyards or crews, if you want to call it. And we're still drawing the map and convincing the official government uh, that this is the way. I think nowadays, Sam, we're living in a very interesting moment where this revolution is starting to um, to, to get together the pieces the pieces of the puzzle 
and we will see something interesting, uh, more Burgundy inspired in the in the coming years. Yeah, I'm excited to see that. Um, Pepe, we know all sparkling wine starts with still wine, correct? Yeah. Um, you started a project in 2016, I think it was, focusing on still wines. Um, I want to talk to you about Consumoy, uh, Con C A N Sumoy S U M O I. Um, it is a still wine project of yours. Um, let's let's talk about it. It involves vine age, altitude, um, you know, revival. Tell me, tell me about this project. And it sounds like, I don't know, a labor of love or something you always wanted to do or. Well, yeah, thank you for asking for that because this is my baby and where I'm putting like 90% of the, of the effort every day now, no, um, of course, uh, with the help of all of, all of our team, no, um, listen, if, if you love wine and you have to start to make wine, please come to Penedes. Eh? This is the <laughs> land. This is the land of opportunity. There are amazing, amazing old parcels, old vineyards of Charello or Sumol. If you want to make white, or if you Charello, if you want to make red Sumol, um, which have an incredible potential, but that the, still hasn't uh, achieved the, 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 the higher podium in the world because uh, Cava ha, has dragged Charello. And, and, and of course, people that had planted Sumoy, Sumoy took it away and, and planted uh, Macabeus and, and Parallelas for the volume demand of, of, of the Cava. No? But, but really going into the mountain areas, you find these amazing parcels. And listen, this is what happened with me with Can Sumoy. I was on, I am passionate of, of bicycle riding. Um, and uh, and uh, uh, as, as I recall, like years living in New York, riding the bicycle up the Hudson River Valley with right, my friend. I've done that. And it's, it's, it's something that is really great, not only for the beauty of the Hudson, but also the escape of Manhattan that is needed. Uh, the people that you know, the one that they live there uh, every day. No? So anyhow, I was riding the bicycle on the mountains of Penedes and found this property, abandoned property, um, with his old vines, uh, old farmhouses that was like screaming to, to a crazy guy like me, like say, hey, um, uh, let's, let, let, let's bring it back. No, let's bring right. it back. And, and this is, I think, the way to, to, to start projects of wine nowadays in a world that is like um, overcrowded of winemaking and, and snobby winemaking uh, things and architecture and fancy stuff. You know, I think it's really go back to basics is take care of the territory, take care of that, in that case, that farm, recuperate that farm and, and, and work with the farmers in the area to learn what the area can offer. In my is opinion. There, wait, yes. Pepe, is there much of that going on? Um, or are you one of the early, you know, pioneers of, you know, discovering these vineyards? Are there other winemakers, um, you know, that are concentrating on Sumol, White Grenache, Girello, you know, Gourmash? Yeah, I think, I think uh, two things. Um, there is a new generation in Pen on Penedes working a lot in the minimal intervention um, recuperation concept, Sumol grape, Charello grape, that is making the region one of the most exciting, innovative regions going back to the past in the world. But also when we talk about Futuro Viñador, I think this is something very, very much across Spain. Eh? There is a fantastic moment for Spanish viticulture where people are going back to the nature, recuperation, all that past that we have because we're like in the essence of the old world, right? And um, I think it's 
it's like a very, very interesting, and we can talk about this when we talk about Futuro. But going back to Sumoy, let me share with you that Can Sumoy is at 600 meters altitude. That's at almost 2,000 feet. When the sun rises, you see Mallorca Island across the ocean. And uh, this gives us an exchange of temperature day and night and a ventilation effect that is very healthy for this idea of making wines without minimal intervention. And last but not least, if we succeed, one day Sumoy will be at the pyramid of, at the top of the pyramid of the red grapes. It's kind of a Nebbiolo style, but with higher acidity and lower alcohol. But light color, a lot of tannins, and a lot of mineral earthiness expression with reduction, so that means that can age a lot. So this, get ready for the Spanish Nebbiolo, for the Catalan Nebbiolo in the years to come. So I'm confused for a second. Sumol the grape, S-U-M-O-L-L, you know, the double L in Spanish is always a little silent. Is sumoy another word or a play on sumo? It's a, it's a play. It's the it's ancient way in Catalan to say, to, to say the grape sumoy. Okay. I thought that because they're basically pronounced the same. All right, Pepe, um, I want to talk about Futuro Vinador. I have a thing called the wine list, which I want you to participate with me. I ask all my guests before they leave five questions about their wine preference. And then um, I just want to pick up the glass of Consomoy and talk to you about it the way we did the uh, Pedra. So um, you're involved in a very wonderful organization called Futuro Vinador, which you got into a little. Tell me more about that. Well, uh, this is this is a wonderful initiative. I would say... Uh, pretty much inspired by um, our friend who is tasting for uh, the wine advocate in uh, Spain and of course also has, I think, uh, um, some region in France and in and, and, and Latin America, Luis Gutierrez. Um, and uh, he really shares um, this vision of, 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 of a new way to understand wine, which is pretty much away from, uh, from the old, um, how can we say, uh, uh, establishment, no? Conventions and, and establishment. Exactly. Eh? So this is really going back to the authenticity and Luis is a very sensitive man and he really, uh, I think, cares for like uh, old people, uh, tradition, um, gastronomy, landscape, culture, uh, social, etc. So basically he, he, he planted the seed in a talk in, in, in Madrid, uh, I think it's about, about 15 years ago now, and really like saying, hey, um, uh, the potential is there. We just need to go back, you know, and, 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 and listen to the villages, no? And uh, um, he created a book, which is Los, uh, uh, The New Vignerons. I don't know if, if you ever heard this. If not, I'll be happy to, to send you a copy. It's a very interesting book about the new vignerons of Spain. And he, uh, he makes a selection from Galicia to the Canary Islands to, to, uh, to Catalonia, of course, Rivera, Rioja, etc., of this new idea of understanding winemaking in Spain, which is, again, is, is recuperating these lost traditions. No? And after this book, we, the association was created, and it's an association that comes all over the territory with values uh, such as uh, the ones we have been sharing during all the podcasts. Right, which is a great thing to have, you know, advocacy and an organization. Um, what's the best way for people to find out more info 
about Futura Vendedor? Do they I have a website say, or? Yes, check the check the website. Although it's um, it's going to be uh, uh changed, I think in a, in in a month. Okay. Uh, so, but, but you can already uh, Google that and, and and learn about this. Futuro Viñador has just translated a very interesting pruning book. Um, I am in contact with Pascaline Lepeltier because I would love to translate her amazing book here for our Spanish friends that don't, uh, don't are not able to read in English uh, or, or, or French. And um, we, we create, uh, in Futuro, we create uh, um, uh, encounters where we uh, share what we are learning. So, for example, if one is very good with soil understanding, we are going to do this year a soil understanding in Sherry with uh, with uh, Willy from uh, Willy Perez from Bodegas uh, Luis Perez and and and, and the project uh, uh, in in Jerez. Uh, and we do I don't know like we did a horse traction um, seminar and here <laughs> and do wow. this work because we're very passionate on recuperating horse traction. Some sure. when my father was little, all this property was done with eight horses, and I am yep. so passionate on recuperating this. See the vineyard work with horses and just have the support of an electric tractor. Yep, that that that's a whole show on its own. You know, farming. <laughs> you know, with yeah. horses. Yeah, well, um, let me tell you. <laughs> let me tell you. It's, it's not just about the CO the CO two. Um, and not, uh, it's the way the hooves touch the ground too that can't exactly. be replicated and it's the rhythm yeah. of the nature it's mm -hmm. all about the rhythm of the nature no, and there is nobody like a horse and a man that can take care of 100 year old vines so I'm just curious so there are similar organizations like Futuro Vinador you know uh, around in other places or this is pretty unique I think there are associations in inside the, the, the appellations of people that share values and such, but transversal across Spain is the, is, is the first one. And also that is not a commercial association, but it's a know-how association, um, social and, 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 and cultural protection association and such. It's great. Um, thank you for talking about that. All right, we have to wrap up pretty soon, but before we do, I subject my uh, guests to a thing called the wine list. I've done this list with every guest on every show, almost 300 of them. Same five questions to everyone. I didn't tell you or Danny really about it because I wanted to be spontaneous. So I'm just going to throw these questions at you. Don't, don't dwell on them. You know, just give me your best answers. So the first question is, what is Pepe Reventos drinking now? What's in your refrigerator? You know, what, what are you enjoying? Uh, you know, did the seasons change? Does that change what you drink? Tell me what you're drinking now. I am drinking a lot of uh, 10 to 15 year old Barolo. Okay. Can never go wrong with that. Um, you made a parallel to Barolo with the uh, Sumol. So I'm sure that's a little research too, right? Do you have any exactly. particular um, makers that stand out to you or you like them all? Well, um, I like a lot Nebbiolo, but my favorite style for the moment, and of course, it's it's always work because the Catalan people are very work oriented. But uh, it's uh, the, I, I love both work that Mascarellos are doing, both Maria Teresa and and Mauro at, at Giuseppe and uh, her daughter Elena. Um, yeah. I enjoy both Conterno's style, one more perfect and a little while the other one a little bit more on the classy. So um, yeah, that would be, for example, four of my. You got favorite. good taste, Pepe, on those two. <laughs> All right, this is the silliest question of the five, but do you have a favorite, you know, we, 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 
us wine people are also gastronomes, whether we realize it or not, because wine is so great with food. Tell me your your favorite wine and food pairing. Well, uh, I am always very radical on 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 pairings, but um, you know, uh, I am a very simple person, so I would say that uh, the idea of a well made, aged sparkling wine with roasted chicken is lovely. Uh, that's a good one. Uh, I like that one. And I didn't mention, I post these, uh, I do a post with the wine list on our social media. So we share this with everyone. All right. Here's the third question. Um, because wine people, like I said, are great gastronomes and, you know, we know wine like anyone else and wine people travel a lot. Talk to me about some of your favorite wine restaurants and or bars. And when I ask you that, whoever you mention, you know, if you leave anyone out, this isn't ranking. These are just things in your travels. Is there anything, you know, around the winery, you know, that just has great wine and food in your travels, you know, and, you know, we talked about you doing a lot. Um, are there any restaurants or wine bars that, you know, are still memorable or resonate or you go back to, you know, well, this, is, this is a very, this is a very hard one because there are so, so many I love, but let me start, uh, local. If you come to Barcelona, please go to come to visit us in Penedès if you love wine and we are going to go or take you to Kalshim restaurant, X-I-M, maybe my favorite restaurant in the world. Really? Two brothers. So the restaurant is called Shim, X-I-M? Yes. yes. Okay. Two brothers. One is grilling. The other one is doing the I don't service. know if anyone has ever given us that. And grandmother is cooking the classic uh, dishes in the kitchen. So It sounds awesome. Very local, but very, very pure. In Barcelona, I can say too many, but I will say one is Gresca, Bar Gresca, G R E S C A, Gresca. Okay. That's very important for people that love food and wine. Perfect. Um, do you, you spend time in New York? I don't yes. know how long ago or how often you come in. And if you can't, don't answer this, but is there anything in New York? you know, that rings to you like a gym or a Goreska? Wow, New York City. Are you kidding me? So many great things in New York City. Um, is a Vinegar Hill House still open? Yes, it that, is still open. That was that, that's nice amazing. that you pointed that out. You know, because everyone mentions Chambers where Pascaline is, which is terrific. You know, Four Horsemen, which is terrific. But Vinegar Hill House. So you love that place. I love that place. Of course, I love uh, what Pascal Ealing is doing in Chambers and what Aldo Som is doing in his more yes. classic style wine bar. And of yes. course, uh, uh, Fourth Horseman and of course, Pasquale Jones for a great pizza with an amazing yep. bottle of wine. But you, you, got, know, you got all those right. This was the beginning. And I will mention another, another hidden one I discovered in the heart of Harlem uh, in my last trip called Clay. C with uh, Gabriel. Yes, with beautiful Gabrielle, who did an amazing job. And, you know, that night we had the sanitary inspection and I was giving this wine <laughs> dinner and it was so chaotic. Uh, well, they did uh, an, an amazing, amazing job. The food was so solid. Um, thank you for sharing those. 
Um, those are all great. Uh, you know, I'm excited about Jim and um, I think I've heard Goreska before. Nice to mention Vinegar Hill. We don't hear that from our guests a lot. All right. Fourth question. Here's the question. What is your favorite all-time wine? Now, before you answer that, I need to, when I structured that question many years ago, I was curious about what is the rarest, most expensive wine that Pepe drank? You know, he knows wine people and he travels. I don't care about that answer anymore. Here's the question that I need you to answer. What is that wine or those few wines that changed the way you thought about wine, that influenced you, that either was a gateway or, you know, it's just an important wine to you? Can you identify a wine or two, you know, that's that yeah. that in your yeah. life? I, Tell me about can them. Can I please mention four? Yeah. So, so first is the childhood wine that I could see my father with his 11 brothers and sisters and my Jesus. grandfather all drinking um, um, uh, the sparkling wine from the region every Sunday before lunch and, and at the sun. Eh? That was something that was really changing uh, uh, the, 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 the view. Eh? It was really, uh, I right. think, influential. Second, that cava. Wait, cava was in your blood, and it was around then. And as a kid, it was not cava. Champagne with an X. (laughs) Okay. 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 Second one, childhood wine. My father, in the late eighties, bought a property in Cote Castillon that was uh, in the limit with Sante Million, and he sent me there to learn French and a little bit about winemaking. I would go with a bicycle to the to the village to, to eat. I would, would be not even drinking a car. So my friends came to visit and we had a bicycle ride. We opened okay. a bottle. We opened a bottle of 86 Chateau de Gris in the middle of the property. It didn't have even a label. It was taken from, you know, from the aging uh, right. uh, racks. Eh? And we grilled a buff steak that we bought at the local uh, boucher uh, in the in the village of Castillon La Bataille. We we grilled that with 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 the, with the vines, of course. That wine was really something that I will never forget. In That's the rough, in the middle of the nature, with my right. friends, bicycles, this, and the environment and circumstances added to it as much as the wine. Third, Silex Domendi di Dagenot. Um, that we can talk about different vintages, but what is important is to really that wine. How Didier put that wine rivaling the best white Burgundies by not talking about Sauvignon Blanc, but really understanding the soil of the Silex parcel. I think I think that's a great one, and he deserves all the recognition. What's your fourth? Last but not least, Pierre Sauvernois work in Pupillin. Ah, sure. He's... I mean, we can talk about his Savanins, but his Pulsar, like the wine, when I, st- I started to taste, we did a vertical tasting. We, we became friends with Manu and Anne through the years. So we go there, we change wines. We, I even went there to cook a Spanish paella and we drank so much wine that the, the paella fell into the snow. It was a big disaster. I ended up cooking <laughs> for the grandchildren at the, at the kitchen. But anyhow, when he started to open the 86, 87, 88, without any intervention, say, listen, I started to like the wines I, that uh, we did without innovation more than the, my, what I learned from my father. You know? And tasting those wines 30 years later and see their aging capability, that was also a sign of change for me. Um, 
the oven wire is so unbelievable. They're just incredibly difficult and expensive to get now. But you know, but he doesn't sell it expensive. Eh? There's the crazy. No, no, no. It's the secondary market. You know, he's he's fair about that. Um, great choices. Like I said, I'm going to post those. Last question, and you know, you should be able to help me with this. The question is, and and we'll change it a little if we have to. The question is, I want you to recommend to me. The best wine around $15, $20, American retail, a red and a white. You can go category, white, you know, Muscadet is a good wine. That's cheap. Um, you know, my kids are in their late 20s and 30s and they can't afford, you know, $40, $50 bottles to bring to a dinner or as a gift. So how do you wow um, you know, at 15, 18, 20, 22 bucks. Um, I'll go ahead and say um, that sparkling wines from the Cava region, and we've educated people about what's going on in the region, offers some good values. Do you agree? Absolutely. Okay. Now, can you recommend, it doesn't have to be from Spain. It could only be from Spain. Tell me other red or white wines that you think are great value wines. Normally, I enjoy um, regions um, in the very, very old world that are still not fancy. Okay. Um, for example, Mine. Alicante. Okay, good one. Humilla, for example. Taste the wines of my friend Keiko, Casa Castillo, um, the entry-level wines. Amazing right. monastrails on the very delicate, great value. Um, how about the islands? Try uh, the, the, the wines from Cuatro Kilos in Mallorca. Four kilos. Ah, each that's new. In that, what's it called? Cuatro Kilos? Yeah, four, four kilos. It's like, okay. like okay. Four kilos. what they harvest per plant. Very yep. interesting. Yep. Um, so I think, I think what you're yeah. hitting at, and other people have said it, is uh, and Alicante's been, you know, around, but it's still a great value compared to the region, is new regions, new winemakers, you know, people that care are creating quality wines that are, you know, not expensive and interesting. Agree? Agreed. Yep. All right. Did you have any others? Well, um, just to throw ideas to open the mind, but um, uh, uh, give a chance to uh, Morocco, Morocco, like what Grayo is doing there, I think it's fantastic. Really? Um, give a chance to uh, the south, the, the south, not fancy areas of Italy. Greece, I think, is up and coming yes. very strong on that category. Um, Portugal, um, yes. where there's a lot of know-how, a lot of history, great vineyards, great sites, but not the branding. I, I agree with that. I think Greece and Portugal and southern Italy are you know, incredible quality to value. All right. Those are great choices. I appreciate that. That may be one of the most thorough and lengthy wine lists. And the reason we do it is our listeners love to hear what the wine guys are thinking and drinking. So thank you for that. All right, Pepe, we're going to end the show. It's a segment called the weekly wine sip. Every week we taste a different wine on air for the wine sip. Um, I saved, even though we talked about it, I want to, you know, do a little more of an evaluation. Um, I want to talk about the Consumoy. In front of me, I have the Consumoy Garnacha Sumol 2022. Um, in the middle, I don't know what this means. It says V Mediterranean Port established 1645. Um, so that's the wine we're drinking. Tell me even a little more about this wine. 
Well, this we is didn't the, talk about the garnasha. We talked about the sumol. Yeah, it's very simple. While uh, because I am, I am, you, you, you know, not very talented person, but I put as much effort as I can. Uh, we're learning. We're learning from sumol to really uh, propose uh, uh, like a world class red wine. But it's difficult. It's a very difficult grape, and that's why people abandon it. It has a lot of sensibility to botrytis if it's in a humid uh, ah. uh, site. It has a lot of sensibility to pacification if it's in a hot site. So you really need to pick in the right moment. Tannins are big, so you don't want to pick uh, underripe. Etc. But when you do it right, I think the potential is incredible. I have some 18s, 19s in the cellar that we're going to release soon. But in the meantime, while we learn in order to start to move that project and, and, and be able to invest in the vineyards and such, we blend it with one of the most delicious and, and easy to understand grapes in, of the world, which is the Garnacha, eh? such a yep. Spanish uh, uh, grape that is planted very much all over the country. And we find these two vineyards of Garnacha neighbor to the property of Cansumoy. So we blend the Sumoy that is very racy and tannic and strong and, 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 and you know, like uh, earthy, if you want, with a, with a beautiful, silky, aromatic and soft Garnacha to propose a wine that starts to introduce people to the Sumoy grape. Ah, what in this particular vintage, because I know it varies, what type of uh, blend of the two grapes? We, we're talking about 50-50. So. Oh, okay. Um, would you down the road like to do less Garnache and highlight the Sumal or that's not the goal? This wine has been so successful and I think it's important to, like you were asking me in the last question, to propose a wine that people can understand and enjoy. So um, this is a wine that I think will belong to the project forever while I work on single vineyard, 100% um, sumo oil vinifications there you that go. Uh, sadly will, will, will cost much more than this because of all the work that there is behind. But typically and they would, you know, those type of wines require more, you know attention and cost and all of that. All right. So let's do a quick evaluation. I'm holding the glass up and the color is, you know, pretty dark purple, not deep, deep, dark brooding, but you know, pretty, uh, you, you kind of can't see through it. There's a little, you know, light on the edges. Um, so I guess both grapes, you know, are pretty hardy that way. Um, typically when you mix garnacha with sumol, what do you get on the nose, Pepe? Um, yeah, the, just a note on the color, um, uh, Sumon is more on the light side, but when you blend it, it's like that Garnacha gets the protagonism. Something yeah. that doesn't happen, doesn't happen when you put the wine on the mouth. Uh, in between, in the nose, I would say that the aromatics of all these dark fruits are what uh, is, 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 is appearing in the, in the very beginning. No? Certain dark fruit, um, um, uh, maybe some raspberries protagonist, a little yes. bit. Uh, right, a, 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 yep. little, a, a little bit of sensation, though, that moves away from that fruit characteristics and brings you to that limestone of of, of the Montmel formation, uh, a, a certain austerity uh, that says, okay, this is not just an overwhelming fruity wine. That when you put the wine in the mouth, I think that's when it, the sumoil starts to gain the protagonism, more the acid. I, I agree, more. and if you talk about mouthfeel, it's it's. It's right in that right zone. You know, it's not a thinner wine or a lighter wine. It's not unctuous. It has that perfect mouthfeel, you know, that medium, not medium minus, not medium. It just sits there so nicely. Um, do you agree? 
Absolutely, and and this is this is the full I think the full vision of the wine. Eh? Yeah, it's something I mean the, that enters easy, but then it stays and it stays. And yeah, it stays. I mean, let's talk about the palate. Do the does the palate replicate some of the the nose descriptors? You know, you get the raspberry on the palate. You know, what else? I, I think I think in my opinion, when you when you drink the the, the Garnacha Sumoy from Cansumoy, especially this 2022 vintage, you are surprised also for for the lightness of the wine. So yeah. yes, there the fruit comes back. There's this acidity of the Sumoy. The, the wine stays there, but everything is in a very subtle way. And this is I think something that is very characteristic for all Cansumoy project. The wines of the of the Montmeil mountains are really known for their lightness. Right. Um... Low alcohol. So let's move to the food thing. What this wine seems like a good food wine. What do you envision as, you know, good pairings with this type of wine? One of the things that you have to eat when you go to a calcium is the pork chicks uh, are grilled. Eh? Okay. Very Catalan, very Catalan um, historic uh, foods. Uh, simple, but delicious. Rich, rich and a little fatty. Exactly. And, and this cuts through it or, or complements it. Normally they are seasoned with uh, generous pepper and, and other, other uh, uh, rosemary and, and local herbs. So I think the wine goes wonderful with that to put an example. All right. In wrapping up the discussion of the 2022 Consomoy, when you look at the, this 22, 2022 Consomoy, Yes. And you said you have some other ones in the cellar that you're going to taste. At, at And this is a relatively new project, you said. Yes. Are you at the point where there are things you need to continue to do, change, you know, whether that's in the winemaking or in the farm or in the blend? Well, you know, where, do you, where do you think you're at, you know, with this absolutely. early baby? Yes, um, we are at 10 percent. Okay. <laughs> and- and uh, there is everything to, to be done. That's why I said at the beginning that this is the baby and where we're putting all the attention. There's like, we're re- from like very basic things like recuperating all dry walls because everything is very steep. Eh? It's ah. like terraces, very steep. So in terms of farming, like recuperating dry walls, of understanding muscle selection of the best plants of Sumoil to regraft other um, old parelladas or, 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 or American rootstock that we have planted already to start developing the plants. That from that to a um, winemaking perspective to understand better what material is good for vinification, which I think it goes back to clay, it goes back to cement, where there is a transpiration because Sumon is very reductive grape, um, right. to understand also what is the aging in the bottle needed to blend this. And not to forget, not to forget the local chestnut 500 to 2,000 liter old barrels um, ah. where we do the finding. You didn't mention that. Uh, we didn't talk much about winemaking, which, you know, I'm fine with. We talked, you know, a little about it, but interesting with the uh, chestnut. Um, all right, Pepe, we got to wrap up. Um, I took a ton of your time and I appreciate you jumping on. Let me do a quick wrap up and I want to get some info from you. So if you have a question, suggestion, wine happening or event, hit me up at Sam at the grape That's Sam at the grape Subscribe to the Grape Nation podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your pods. Um, We ask you to subscribe because when you subscribe, you know, Pepe's interview shows right up as a subscriber. 
Um, and, you know, there he is. If you like our podcast, you know, leave a review. You can follow us on Instagram at SBenRuby. You could follow us on X, Twitter, at BenRuby. I know those are two different addresses, but you can always find us with the hashtag TheGrapeNation. Um, we're on Facebook at the Grape Nation. As I mentioned, we'll post Pepe's wine list answers, and they're extensive. Um, and I will post our wine, weekly wine sip selections. I will give you the information on the Revento C. Blanc, uh, Textores de Pedra, and the uh, Consumai. Um, so we'll put that on our media sites. Pepe, um, where can we find more information on Revento C. Blanc, Consumoy, um, in general? And where can we find more about, you know, all of this on social media? So take it step by step. Well, um, I think you can Google us. There's uh, quite a lot of uh, material there because uh, my dear and much smarter than me wife runs all the branding. And she's doing the, an wait, the, the website is very rich and detailed. So, you know, thank the, you very much. You know, so that's, you know, one place to go. Kudos to your wife. The Instagram, I think, is, is, is very, is very agile and dynamic. I am a disaster on that, but I think that Susanna <laughs> and the team do an amazing job. So it's okay. uh, at Ravento Blanc and at Kansumoy. And if you want to follow the personal projects I develop in the garage to, of innovation at Pepe Raventos. Okay. Um, Pepe, I know you hate to talk about marketing, not one of your favorite things, correct? <laughs> exactly. But I compliment you because, you know, obviously I've been a podcaster and I've been doing it for seven years. Um, you are a good podcast guest and you get yourself out there, you know, from time to time, which I think is a good thing for the region, the story, and certainly, you know, specifically your wines. Um, so I thank you for that. Um, that's, that's your way of marketing, which is a good way, by the way. Um, so I want to thank our guest, Pepe Reventos. Thank you to our engineer, Armin, and everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you've been listening to The Grape Nation. The Grape Nation is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.